Hi, so welcome back to Roll for Enterprise. This week, we're joined by a very special guest, Vincent Lowe from Clue, Clue with a K. Hi, Vincent. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It is uh, great to be here. Vincent is the VP of Product Marketing at Clue, and Clue is a very interesting product in the competitive enablement space. Uh, so what it does is it helps companies collect and curate hard-to-find competitive intelligence and centralize the best of what the web knows about competition with the best of what employees know into a single repository that's easy for users to consult. And it's attracting a lot of interest uh, across the internet, having some great success, finding some great customers. And it came to my attention in full disclosure as uh, part of an evaluation. And it was interesting enough that I thought it was worth having a conversation. So, to facilitate that, we have our regular co-host, Mike Yanira, who is going to play the part of the customer in this discussion, and also friend of the show, Lilac Schoenbeck, joins us once again. Uh, Zach couldn't make it this week, but we'll try to muddle through without him. Welcome, everybody, and welcome, Vincent. So to kick off the conversation, one of the things that I particularly appreciated about uh, talking to Clue and talking to your colleagues, Vincent, is it's not often that I get to sit on the other side of the table. Usually I'm on the vendor side of the table. And so it was interesting to go through that experience to to be pitched and to, to be followed up with and so on. And it just prompted some thoughts on what a good approach in enterprise software is because it's so easy to get these things wrong. But when you get it wrong, it, it really falls very badly on its face. And... On the other hand, the, the whole approach of Clue, both in terms of the product and in terms of the go-to-market, is centered around doing the right thing of enabling users of Clue to have better conversations with uh, their customers because you understand better the, the situation that they're in. Could you share with the audience kind of where that inspiration came from, where the original idea to develop Clue came from? Yeah, so the original idea for developing Clue... It, came from our CEO, who was actually um, a, a president in also in a Vancouver company, um, Vision Critical, that was in the market insights, market research type of space, right? And so market research, market insights naturally lend into competitive. And one of the things that he found as he was leading that company was that he always wanted to know what's going on with the competition so that they can change course, change strategies and react or go on the attack or go on the defense. Um, And so when when, um, he took his 18-month sabbatical in in Africa and came back to uh, North America and and think about the next thing, and that's where kind of that that whole uh, competitive intelligence um, tooling, competitive intelligence uh, space was kind of like solidified. And I think what we realized over the past couple of years um, as we've been in the market is that when it comes to competitive intelligence, people have always thought about it as this, this um, how do we describe it nicely, this lab coy type of uh, work kind of hidden in the back room. And that it is a little bit of a sense of, of kind of the CIA style collecting a bunch of information and then throwing a report over the fence for someone else to, to act on it. And I think what we realized over the years is that, yeah, okay, that's not important. But then what's also more important is to ensure that the people, um, the folks who are ultimately going to be getting value out of competitive intelligence, have a way to access that information in a way that's 
digestible um, and that's that's usable in their day to day, so that they're not bombarded uh, with with fifty different things. Uh, they're not bombarded with a fifty-page deck, a hundred-page deck that used to be the kind of the notion of what competitive intelligence deliverables actually were. Um, so that's kind of the synthesis of competitive enablement um, as a category for us, right? It was kind of like a, a merger of competitive intelligence and what it takes to to be great at competitive intelligence, but also revenue enablement and how do we go about thinking about that end consumer and end customer of this competitive intelligence and how do we go about making sure that it's actionable, digestible, and, and findable for them. Right, because that was the, the key thing for me as part of a general trend, in fact, these days, the question is rarely, you know, finding any information at all. It's more the question of, I have all of the information in the world being thrown at me. And most of it is not relevant, but I need to find the few items that are relevant. So I'm always interested in tools and techniques and approaches uh, that let us do that. So that, you know, as marketers and sellers, we can talk to our customers in a way that's going to be more useful to them that's going to make more sense to their needs exactly exactly it's it's always a case of too much information it's too much information for the person that's doing competitive intelligence and then way too much information for the seller when they are thinking of the competition and need to react to the competition because really if you think about enterprise sales and how that interaction actually goes you really don't want to be in a conversation about the competition all the time right you want to to handle that competition in a very short amount of time so that you actually get back to the actual conversation, the real conversation, which is what is the value of solving a problem for a customer and how do you and your product and your solution go about solving that uh, problem for the customer? Exactly, exactly. I mean, Mike, for you, you're more used to being on the customer side of the table. Yeah, the pitches always come and sometimes it's always like, oh gosh, I, I, I don't want to speak to these people and they don't know what they're talking about. They don't know about me. And so, so where is the where are you really helping there? I mean, because obviously I can think of uh, people who, who cold call me or, or, or pitch me a product and sometimes they're so, so off base that um, you know, it's it's really kind of uh, taking away from my time. And I, I tend to start to, and I, maybe I shouldn't say this, but blacklist people to talk to, right? And then there's people who call me and actually know what they're talking about and, and no problems. But how are they, how are you aggregating that info about like me as an enterprise IT customer who who's looking to purchase something or, you know, whether it's A, B or C? Yeah. For us, I think it, it, starts in our initial thinking process, like the way we actually think about it. The, the way we think about it is not about the selling process and how we actually sell. The way that we we think about it, and, and I have to drill this and we have to drill this into every new hire, is that it's not about how we sell, it's about how the buying process should go and what our buyers and the customers' buying process um, and buying preferences actually look like. So yes, we know that there are a certain group of prospects who are in this active search phase for a solution uh, because they have been tasked, they have been um, assigned, they put up their hand and said that they want to own competitive and, and really get sick. But there's also another um, much larger part of the market whereby they're probably thinking about competitive, but they're not actively enough um, and, and deeply enough to actually search for it. So, for us and for our uh, SDRs, it comes down to research, researching the company, researching the industry and researching the individual and what they're actually saying, right? So that 
however we go out and 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 um, pitch to and, and cold call someone, that it is going to be relevant to them as an individual, them uh, their company as a company, and also. For us, being in competitive, we also want to make sure that we are talking about something that's relevant for them in terms of the competition. Otherwise, why are we in the conversation in the first place? Yeah, then it gets kind of meta how it's a competitive intelligence about the competing competitive <laughs> intelligence platform. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I could give you all kinds of competitive exactly. intelligence about the competitive intelligence platform. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> and, and speaking of meta, like my role was also pretty meta as well. So I used to be um, one of the first customers of Clue. And um, taking on competitive intelligence and market intelligence and product marketing in my previous company. And so now I'm at the company selling competitive intelligence software as a product marketer to product marketers. So lots of meta-ness going on right now for me personally, <laughs> but also for us as a company. Definitely come full circle there. The other thing that I like about this is not just the, the approach to sales that the, the company has itself, I really enjoy conversations that are high value and, as Mike says, do tend to blacklist pretty quickly the ones that are not. <laughs> but I also like how you had this idea of a product that would enable our sellers to have those higher value conversations with their customers. One of the things that people think of competitive intelligence is it's going to be you know, a spreadsheet with uh, red X's and green ticks. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That yeah. the, the user, the prospective user has to do the work of figuring out which of these features that have the green tick do I even care about? And it becomes kind of adversarial almost, seeing who can throw the biggest RFI, RFP <laughs> spreadsheet mm -hmm. over the wall. And that's not how it should work. It should be, you know, here is what a customer is trying to achieve. And here are the, the features that are going to enable that goal to be reached or not. And then on that basis, okay, who's going to best enable me to achieve my goal? But that's a difficult pivot to make unless you have a lot of high-quality information. That's always the, the difficult thing. If uh, we provide to, to our sellers here is a link to the Google Drive and there's a bunch of text documents in there, go read them to your heart's content. That's not the typical idea of a good time for them. That's a good point because there's the interaction as well. Like I see it that the interactions that I'm having with people either pitching me or trying to sell me has changed over the past couple of years. And I, I can't pinpoint what's, you know, what's changed, but it is very different, right? And and people are reaching out through multiple manners. Is is that part of the side effect here that's that's happening? I think I think that is the side effect of how many channels we're in, right? Like what, five, ten years ago, we were only going to be interacting with email and phone calls. And now I don't know how many of us actually pick up a couple phone calls that we don't recognize. Um, I, I certainly don't. And so these other channels is kind of, um, I guess, the only other options that that SDRs and AEs actually have in terms of reaching a customer and reaching a prospect. I think, from my perspective, part of the value. So I was, a, you know, at risk of being a, a former Clue user and former only because I changed jobs. Um, but one of the pieces here, I think, is that there's a lot of it links together and stitches together the end to end competitive intelligence story within an organization. Right. And so that is, you know, on one hand, you're able to capture and understand your competition from which impacts product and product roadmaps and our competitive positioning, actually comparing what the things really actually do. And then and then the next click of like, what is the actual go to market? How is the how are these 
capabilities positioned and marketed and then what kinds of activities are your competitors engaged in that you may or may not be engaged in, which may or may not be a mistake, right? Um, and so that's the sort of driving the marketing plan and the go-to-market plan for these products vis-a-vis these competitors. And then finally, as we've been talking, how a sales rep picks up the phone and has that discussion with a customer. Um, and and by knitting all of those together, you actually have a much more cohesive look at competitive intelligence. Whereas I think sort of to Dom's point earlier, it's very easy to see a slide with a bunch of Harvey balls on it and a bunch of features and call that competitive intelligence. It doesn't to me, that's competitive information, but I don't know that it's intelligence. I, I agree. I agree. I think I think you nailed it uh, in head, right? Because there's this notion of data, there's notion of information, there's notion of insights. But then the way that sellers, the most effective sellers can make use of all of that is to tell a story. And so if we simply throw a bunch of information or data over to um, a, a sales rep and they're left to their own devices and make sense of it, one of a couple of things will happen. Um, a, they'll just look at it, stare at it, you know, deer in the headlights type of, of reaction. Like, I don't know what to do with it. I'm going to just throw it away. Second reaction is they're going to start making stuff up, um, which I don't know about you, but as a product marketer, I cringe at that thought. I get scared of that thought. Um, I, th- I think if you talk to any CMO about, how do you feel about your sales reps? That can you picking up story about your competition? They're like, oh my God, we can't actually let that happen. And then the third, um, l- less likely scenario, and, and this still happens, is that the most seasoned reps can take what the information that you shared with them and then realize that they, there's a version of what they have heard from their customers and marry that together, right? And, and that's how they tell a very strong narrative and uh, a strong story to have this high-value conversation with their prospects, with their customers. So our job when it comes to competitive intelligence and, and distilling all this information is to make sure that, yeah, we want to provide all the information, all the, what we call the supporting evidence to the sales rep so they can have that high value conversation and sound credible about it, but also deliver it in a way that is a strong story to, uh, to tell, a narrative for them to tell um, so that it is properly framed and it is properly leading to the conversations about the problems that the customers are actually having that they want solved. That's a really high bar. And that's a high bar for a piece of software, honestly, of any of any sort. I mean, we found that our product marketers were actively engaged in, in achieving that end. And I don't think that was a mistake, by the way. I mean, I was glad to have the women on my team engaged in that because it forced them into an understanding of the product and a refining of their own messaging that I think was really valuable. But it, it did require human intervention. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, this, is, this is a bar that software, AI, machine learning is really not going to be able to solve for quite a number of years, the 5, 10, 15 years, thankfully. Otherwise, we'd be all out of the job. Time for us to retire. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if we solve that problem, then we absolutely can retire. <laughs> yeah, you can. It's going to take a long time to get to that, right? Like, it's going to take a long time to get to that. But really... When it comes to these these types of um, problems that we need to solve, it is a hybrid solution that the machine can do a bunch of work. The machine can filter out and increase the signal-to-noise ratio of all the things that are actually coming in. It can increase the signal-to-noise ratio for the sales reps for them to, to get the most relevant information. But ultimately, it's going to take that human intelligence in between to make sense of it, to tell a story. Because, you know, uh, we all play with GPL3, I assume, and that... It tells a pretty funny story sometimes. It actually generates some pretty funny text. 
but usually it's on the funny side of things and not something that's truly cohesive. Right, that's it. And that's one of the things that's always like about approaches to AI that are hybrids, like the, the famous Centaur chess, where it's a the human team, it can be beaten by the AI team, but the strongest team is actually the human augmented by the AI. And that's uh, kind of what you have here as well with the the ability to integrate that so institutional knowledge, the stuff that's locked up in people's heads, people's email inboxes, because salespeople for all of their many, many wonderful qualities, but they don't tend to be leading edge tech adopters. Salespeople tend to go with what they know works because they, they're busy and they have they have things to do. But that means valuable information does get stuck in these in these places where it's not accessible, that can't be can't be mined. I really liked all the parts of the product that enable that information to be captured, to be gathered, to be made more widely available uh, internally. That was so well said. I need to capture that and use that in my own marketing materials. <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be in a podcast real soon. <laughs> I will say for us, and not to go to a sort of meta place here, but um, it brought up a lot of questions of what truth actually is, right? Um, Which Mm. I I recognize is is quite a philosophical topic and particularly timely right now. But in the context specifically of competitive intelligence, right? Um, somebody gets a hold of a competitor's quote, for example, or somebody is given visibility into somebody's price book for whatever reason. I mean, sometimes not... um, not through any illegitimate means, but just because it it seem these things fly around, these things exist. Mm-hmm. So a good sales rep, by the way, will often be able to have access to that information, or somebody came from another company and has memories of price being or whatever. And and the question of what qualifies as truth um, that can be written and communicated, and then ultimately even verbally shared, and and certainly if the highest bar is to be able to actually. Um, put it, you know, document on a website or a piece of marketing material, um, what qualifies as a, as a real piece of truth? Now, we had an, a crack legal team um, that <laughs> I, no, I was absolutely, some of my best friends come from that legal team. And they were amazing. But one of the bars that they set us to was if it's not actually on somebody's website, like if I can find it on a website or on Tech Target or whatever, it's true. But you can't just cite, you know, Bob's email. <laughs> <laughs> call it a, a truth. And this really brought up some interesting questions, actually, because what we also know is that sometimes this anecdotal information is is false, not just a, a quote sheet, but rumor has it they are going to augment or release their next thing and it's going to you know be able to bake a ham. Happens every week in tech, right? <laughs> and yeah. then you're like... Yeah. So how do you how do you advise customers to think on that? Yeah, and I think that's that's a really fun one. So there's one part about truth and there's a second part about perceived truth, but we'll talk about the truth part first, right? Um, and that is, and, and that's actually one of the biggest limitations for software right now, because yeah, if it's published um, somewhere on the internet, then you can probably interpret it as truth um, and you can point to it and say, that's what it was actually said. Uh, there's obviously a, a timeline element to it whereby that truth will actually change over time. But then the, the other side, you know, a lot of these other real truths that we're hearing from enterprise sales in enterprise sales is that it's coming from customers, it's coming from prospects, and that and that we're hearing multiple data points. And we can't point to them in, in you know, unless we get a recording and get approval to say that this is what somebody has actually said. We can't actually point and say that, yeah, that's what is happening in the marketplace. But we, what we can do is to get three or four data points um, and we have to clarify and confirm that they are from different data points so that we can say that it was triangulated. Um, that directionally, this is what we have actually heard. So 
do we know it is 100% known truth that it's happening in the marketplace? No, but we have certain levels of confidence that it's actually happening or that it's coming from an X number of customers from this particular cohort in this particular time frame. And in that sense, you know, if we give our sales reps the ability to understand that the, the evidence around all of that, so that they can confidently go back out to the customer and say that, yeah, this is what we're hearing in the marketplace. Are you seeing and hearing that as well? Then there's that element of the prospect being able to evaluate for themselves of whether that's actually truth or not. And that transparency is also part of how we have gone to market that we don't know anything. We don't know everything. Um, sorry, let me back up and say that. Uh, the, the transparency is part of how we go to market that we don't know everything and that we're here to collaborate both in terms of um, in terms of how the best solution is going to look like for you as a customer and also how the best competitive intelligence program is going to look like for you when you are a customer. So, so it sounds like under the hood, you're, you're scraping um, data or gathering data and it, it's pretty much all, all digital. I, I guess you're validating at some point, how do I put this? What's relevant and what isn't in, in that truth question. And I mean, because a lot of people could be spreading the rumor, right? So how do you know that that stays out of it? Yeah. So one of the most important things that we are doing and we need to do as a, as any insight software is to have a direct reference and a direct link back to the source of that actually came from so that we as CI people or product marketers looking at it, be are able to look at this, this entire set of intelligence that's coming through that the machine has helped to sort out in terms of relevance, importance or not. And then we can actually make sense of, is it actually coming from the same source? Does it sound like it's coming from the same source? Does it come like it's coming from far enough away, that, uh, you know, tangentially far enough away so that we can actually co- collaborate and triangulate all together? Um, and that is something that software is not going to be able to do. Right? Um, software is able to tell us that these Five or six different insights are probably going to look together. Uh, and even our software is not really uh, at that point that we can actually tell us that. But we can help you organize all the information so that it's actually grouped together so that we can look at it in aggregate versus what used to happen. And this used to happen for me in my previous life, which was I have all these things in Evernote, in Google Docs, in Now Notion, in a couple of PowerPoint decks, uh, in other people's documents. And on a monthly, weekly, quarterly basis, my job is actually just trying to pull this all together, throw it into a giant spreadsheet and whiteboard and make sense of it all. And from an in- industry perspective, I mean, you, you must have customers from all industries. Or I would imagine that some of the industries that are, uh, I'm going to say this um, bad and tick off some people, but that are not so digitized, let's say. And if we look at like some uh, manufacturers or like, you know, people who are... Um, yeah, mom and pa, I, I guess, does that become more challenging? I mean, is does this fit one industry better than another? And, and if you can, which are the industries here that are lagging behind? Yeah, absolutely. You're exactly right. Industries that are highly digitized, obviously, we have a much larger digital footprint um, of which we can source information. Um, obviously, with the caveat that public information typically is low value. So how do we go about marrying that with the information that the field teams and the sales teams are actually going to be and bring that in. Um, in fact, digitization of the industry is one aspect we look at, but the second aspect of it is also 
uh, what's the right way of saying it? The digitization of the sales team, uh, how comfortable they're with, with digital and, and uh, communicating and working that way because we also have certain industries and, and I'm not, not going to name them right now, but there are certain industries where you can imagine where, you know, sales reps have been in their role in, in the industry for 15, 20 years. And my God, trying to get anything done digitally is going to be super painful. And then for them to share information, to absorb information digitally is also super painful. I've seen that uh, firsthand and I, I will not comment further. <laughs> so I'll leave it there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The final thing as we start to get towards the, the end of our time together, my previous job was in uh, an AI-enabled space. Mm-hmm. And over the course of four years, I saw that go from something that was uh, kind of weird and definitely cutting edge in positive and negative senses to becoming mainstream and then to going even towards uh, AI washing. Uh, people were kind of jumping on the AI bandwagon without <laughs> really having a good excuse. Yeah. And this was interesting because how I know Lilac was because we were in the, the trenches of the cloud wars the first time around, I should say. And so we saw that exact same mechanism play out. It went from being nobody would possibly do that to, of course, everyone does it, and so do I. <laughs> So how are you seeing that play out? Is AI becoming a feature, as many of us said was going to happen? Is it still something that you find differentiating, whether in functionality or in marketing? As we said, there's that difference between reality and perceived reality. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think we all have Google, Amazon, and really Tesla to thank for oh. that. <laughs> <laughs> My car is smarter than me. Yeah, for sure. Oh, totally. Yeah. Totally. It, it could drive better than I can. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> Except on the racetrack. That's a different story. Uh, we're not quite there yet. <laughs> but but from a marketing perspective, I think it's, it's definitely uh, commoditized as a feature. Um, but the reality, I think, plays out very differently because AI... It can solve a lot of problems, but it can. There are also a lot of problems that it can't solve. Um, and if we think about what we just talked about in terms of the human hybrid approach to competitive intelligence and the wide stature needed, um, there there are places where AI is highly applicable and is going to do a much better job than humans actually can. But because of the volume of information, volume of data, the volume of of insights and intel that's available on the competition. How AI actually applies from in a typical sense, you know, pattern recognition, predictive analytics, uh, that doesn't quite apply because the volume of, of data on any individual competition, on any individual space right now is just not there. It's not enough, right? So can we actually apply AI in a more generic sense to look at the entire industry as a whole and then try to apply that into, um, into predictive insights about what's going to happen with your competition? We can try, but is it going to be relevant? And the short answer is probably not. So I think, I think from a marketing perspective, everybody and their mother talks about AI and machine learning. But from a real practical application sense, uh, we're definitely seeing uh, a lot of potential and opportunity for us to differentiate through AI and where AI is truly valuable versus where AI is kind of doing the expected work um, of filtering of highlighting and significant reference um, of recognizing context. And then there are places where AI just doesn't make any sense, right? Like, you know, automating AI, uh, sorry, automating intelligence um, that's been gathered and pumping down the sales team doesn't make any sense to us because 
there is no notion of narrative and storytelling that AI can actually put into context for the cell structure to make sense of. And then we're kind of right back to square one of information overload to the sales rep, and then they're left to their own devices to make up stories about what's happening in the marketplace. That's exactly it. Okay. Thank you for that. That was super insightful. So as we get to the end of our time together and I uh, can go get to your wine, uh, it's a bit <laughs> early in the day for you perhaps, but <laughs> sometime we need to, to do some comparisons, uh, get some obscure wines here in Italy that don't travel and uh, we can cross, <laughs> cross-reference that and figure out when AI can produce that virtual nose. Uh, I was reading something about uh, somebody trying to produce a virtual nose that could achieve the sommelier grade certification and uh it, it wasn't going well for them let's say yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i can i can imagine <laughs> you need to tell a story though yeah trying to use ai to recognize uh different wines and characters of wine and identify the individual wines and where they're actually from it's gonna be fun it's gonna be a fun challenge that is something that i am uh semi-actively exploring on the side of my desk (laughs) (laughs) well when you need some help with the judging i'll be the reference customer yeah there you go Uh, thank you so much for joining us if people want to find out more about uh, you and about clue where should they go where should we send them yeah absolutely um if you want to find out more about me and, and just talk to me about shop and talk about wine talk about ai and, and uh, competitive intelligence hit me up on linkedin um it is uh what's the right word thing? we'll put up a link somewhere and if you want to find out more about competitive intelligence about um clue and you know some of the best practices that we actually hear from our customers hit up our website clue.com with a k um and our resources section has lots of uh, fantastic stuff that that are going to be useful. And I have to say, for once, you don't have to worry about registering as Johnny Lee Jen. Uh, the, the, the people really are worth talking to. Uh, <laughs> it's a bunch of super nice Canadians that w- will actually give you something useful. That is our model. Give something useful and valuable. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us today. Thanks, Mike and Lilac, for helping the conversation. And thanks to the audience for listening. Uh, Check out the show notes for all of the links to the resources that we mentioned. And as ever, you can follow the show on LinkedIn or on Twitter at Roll4Enterprise. And we will talk to you again very soon. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Vincent, especially. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having me. That was fun. (laughs) 